0: Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host Valerie, and sometime co-host Miss Purrington. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Comedy Wham or on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, and our monthly Comedy Wham showcase at Hops and Time in Lakeway. Next one is Tuesday, January the 4th. And as we approach our sixth anniversary and my personal 200th interview, I'm excited to announce that on Wednesday, January 19th, we're taking the podcast live to Fallout Theater for an anniversary chat with my good friends Brendan K. O'Grady and Duncan Carson of Sure Thing Records. And have you checked out our newly renovated events page for live shows in Austin and Houston? If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click Submit a Show to complete the short survey. And if you like the new survey, shoot us a quick review and we'll share your review and promo your show on Instagram. We've joined the Patreon bandwagon. Search for Comedy Wham on Patreon and check out ways you can support what we do at Comedy Wham. We've got some fun treats for subscribers. Oh, and you can also support us by PayPal or Venmo. Just search for Comedy Wham. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we'll usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, we are speaking with one of the recent transplants from L.A. to Austin, but he is from Southlake, Texas, so he is, he's Texas certified. Uh, he is the co-host of the Giggle Boys podcast, and I have been uh, checking it out, and it is very true to the name. It is full of giggling. And uh, I've been watching his posts recently, and apparently he is a fan of chocolate, so, you know, I'm glad that I, I supply chocolate. That's a little secret for uh, those of you who come out to interview. You get a little bit of chocolate. Uh, And one of my favorite interactions with him was uh, when I was trying to coerce him to use our our survey for submitting one of his shows. He put a a little review together, and he is a self-admitted, lazy, and skeptical person, but he also ended up saying that he loved how quick the survey was for submitting a show. So with all of that, as Fanfare uh, Comedy Wham presents our guest, Mike Eaton. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Thank oh. you so much for having me. Okay. All right. I was a little nervous that you your voice wasn't coming through. Oh no, it's, it's here. Just, oh, there it is. It's here. I'm it is. I'm just, I was just high
1: pitched at the beginning. This <laughs> yeah. happens to me at drive-throughs. I'll try and be polite uh-huh. when I order, uh-huh. and, and then they'll think I'm a woman, uh-huh. and they'll be like, "Your total will be six forty-eight, ma'am." And then I pull up to the window, they're like, "That's <laughs> that's not a lady at all." <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, Mike, thank you for making the drive out here. Yeah, uh, for this interview, so I am on this mission.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I I've been around for a while. This mm-hmm. is where I'm climbing to the sixth anniversary uh, episode of Comedy Wham presents, and. Uh, if you look at my archive, the, the people will quickly see that it's a lot of what, what uh, folks are calling the old guard comedy scene. Yeah. And I at, and we at Comedy WAN would not be doing a service to the comedy scene if we didn't start talking to all these people that have recently moved to Austin because that lends the flavor of what the scene is like. Yeah. So I am lumping you in that category.
1: Which is awesome. <laughs> I love getting lumped in there because it's also um, – so my very first open mic in comedy was uh-huh. 420 of 2016.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Uh, I had just <laughs> oh, gone. <wow. laughs> yeah, I had just gone through a breakup, and some friends of mine that I worked with were like, "Hey, there's this open mic uh-huh. for comedy at Hyenas, on uh-huh. Mockingbird Station in Dallas, where I lived at the time."
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and we went, and me and him signed up at like five o'clock in the afternoon, and we were the second and last, second to last, and last person on the show where there were 65 yeah. comics doing wow. three minutes. And we it was 4.20, so we've been smoking pot all day. So we're <laughs> exhausted and just uh-huh. like worn out mentally from yeah. hearing joke after joke after joke. And I went up there, and I still got a couple of the people that stuck around to laugh at something. I was like, oh, this is fun. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I didn't do anything with it. Uh, I moved to Austin in uh, 2017, okay. I want to say. Maybe it was 2016. But I moved to Austin And uh, then I did the Cap City open mic Mm -hmm. like five or six times. And every time, it was incredible. It was so much fun. I brought friends out. Uh, But I wasn't really doing anything else in comedy. I was just going to the Cap City mic and writing. And then May of 2018, I was like, hey, I I think I really want to do this. Like, I love stand-up. Let's, like, get into stand-up. So I went to – it used to be Love Goat.
0: Uh, Oh, that was one of my favorite mics
1: Love Goat on (laughs) Saturday Yes I uh, went to go do that mic And uh, if you know Amir Zaman, he Uh was there And uh, I was talking with him And I got so nervous before my set I went and threw up in the parking lot And I left and I went home and I didn't do it I was like, oh, I can't do it (laughs) And I freaked out And then the next day was Sunday I hadn't gotten on Cap City But I went to try and get on standby Uh I didn't make it And then I went to Mr. Tramp's and I did that terrible mic in the back of Mr. Tramps uh-huh. and it was the only time I'd ever done stand up where I was like, no, what I'm saying is funny. Why is no one laughing? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, what is this? What the hell is happening right now? Like, why are you people suck? Yeah. And It was like, what's, I gotta, I gotta figure out what's going on. Cause I know what I'm saying is funny. Yeah. And then I, you know, I just started, I didn't, there, I didn't know any rules to stand up. I've done some motivational speaking and, and I'd been kind of in the public speaking world and So being on stage wasn't super crazy, but I still got nervous and to be vulnerable with comedy is such a different kind of, uh, talking than anything else. So I, I did the Austin comedy scene for about six months. Huh? Uh, so I started here. I would go to Mr. Tramps. I would go to Cenote. Mm It used to be the mics there. Uh, I would, I would try and get on everything I could and I was doing mics almost every day. Uh, and it used to be the last gas was how you would find where that was how I would find mics. That's what everyone gave me at mics to find other ones.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then when I wanted to get on shows, I couldn't, I just, I couldn't get booked on shows to save my life. And for work at the time I was traveling. So I went down to San Antonio for work and I was in a Facebook page and they were like, Hey, we need comedians for a show at the homeless shelter. And I was like, "Mm, it's a show. Yeah. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Sign me up Uh, with Bobby Smith. Uh, was was know. hosting it out of San Antonio. Uh, Clifton Simmons was on the show. Okay. He's another great comic. Uh, but yeah, it was like my first comedy show it was four or five months into comedy at a homeless shelter wow. uh, in San Antonio. <laughs> and then I uh, went to Houston for work and Zaid Duji put me on uh, a Wednesday show there and I made $13 in cash. Woo-hoo! And I got to do 10 minutes when I didn't even really have eight. <laughs> and... Uh, and it was like, oh, my God, I, this is crazy. And I still have that cash uh, sitting at my house. Aw, it's never like the sw-
0: little dollar bill at the restaurant. Exactly.
1: <laughs> it is. It's 100% <laughs> that. But like, So I did all that. But when I would come back to Austin, like I, I couldn't get booked on shows still. And I would go to Houston. I would go to San Antonio. I couldn't get booked on shows. And then I had a buddy that I knew from Motivational Speaking World. And he was like, hey, why don't you come help me for some work in L.A.? and ah. Come visit L.A. and check it out. Ah. So I went out there to visit him uh, in – I fell in love with the city. I went to the comedy store. I got to see, you know, these Netflix level people and it was 20 bucks Mm -hmm. and I got to drink with them afterwards and I heard some of the funniest things I'd ever heard in my whole life from people I'd never heard of and it's like I was a religious listener of comedy and just all of these just killers at the comedy store that haven't been on TV. It's like, whoa. So I fell in love with that so uh, November of 2018 I said, fuck it. I quit my job here. I put everything in the back of a Nissan Altima and I moved to LA
0: Whoa. and
1: I moved in sight unseen with a couple of friends, uh, in, like a house and it was just like, yeah, I'll try it. And, uh, that, so that's my original start of comedy was Austin. So I have a bunch of friends yeah. from like the old guard of Austin comedy. And I know all of them. I know the Avery Moores mm-hmm. and the Amber Bixby's. And I know like, uh, Michael priest, you know, like I yeah. remember like seeing Taylor Dowdy and, and all of them, and being like, oh, man, I want to do that. Like, I remember the first time I saw Hunter Duncan perform at an open mic. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, what the fuck am I doing? That's, that's <laughs> how you do comedy. I, what is this dumb shit I'm saying? <laughs> like, he had five minutes about, uh, like, a, a gift bag being included in the price of, like, a gift. Uh-huh. And he was like, just give it to me raw. <laughs> and it was so funny. And it was just like, oh, man. Like, yeah. So I remember all of those people. Uh-huh. Uh, but now I'm also back, and I you know went and yeah. like trained in LA <laughs> essentially. Yeah.
0: Oh my god, we had to have crossed paths because uh, uh, until COVID, I was getting out to mics mm-hmm. and Love Goat. Just it always was my favorite mic, yeah. just because it's just so terrible. Yeah. I can't stay up as late as Mister Tramp's mic, mm-hmm. but I probably would have loved that mic too. Um, when oh, you yeah. don't care. And you can take the ego hits. They're mm-hmm. great mics. And I would go oh, yeah. to Sonoté too. For sure. So we had to have crossed paths.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I uh, I mean, I've always been this way. Like, I love going to mics. I laugh really hard. And I, I have drinks to support the venue. And mm-hmm. then I smoke weed in a circle out back. I'm uh-huh. like, that's just, that's <laughs> been my thing. And it's so yeah. cool because it's like an open mic is kind of like work. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's very much practice, and it's like, all right, I'm going to work today. I'm going to have a couple of drinks. I'm going to hang yeah. out with a bunch of funny people, and then I'm going to try some shit. Yeah, and like,
0: yeah, I know,
1: it's I. We definitely ran into each other. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, uh, I, I, was, just,
0: I was the immemorable old lady. That's, yeah, that's,
1: that's who I was. <laughs> like, I also for quite a quite a while at the beginning, I was so certain that everyone hated me, and that I just was mm. not funny, and like. They weren't laughing because they hated me. Yeah. It wasn't because my jokes were bad. And I also had like this chip on my shoulder because when I would go to Cap City and I would do that mic with real live audience members, mm-hmm. I crushed. Like, even by my standards today. I mean, I don't have any of the tapes saved because I wasn't recording myself yet. Like oh, an idiot. Oh, Mike. <laughs> God, I wish, I wish that was advice that I'd taken sooner. Like the only yeah. advice, uh, DJ Collins was the first person to tell me that I had to hold the microphone close to my mouth. Because I was so used to these nice wireless mics at conventions and you could, you know, gesticulate and move around. And then I I would get to Mr. Tramps and I would be talking in this back room and I've got a loud voice. Yeah. So I could project enough. Everyone would hear me. But the subtleties of volume in your voice dramatically impact the way that the statement is taken. Mm -hmm. So like having a microphone close to your mouth where you can talk quietly and get the point across makes a big difference. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like. I got that advice. I got the move the mic stand advice. Uh That's still like when I get on stage, I take it out. I move the mic stand. (laughs) (laughs) But someone told me like record every set. And I was like, "Mm, it's too cringy to listen to myself. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to sit there.
0: But you have to. Yeah, now I do. You do have to. Yeah. 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 Uh, I just scanned it. We have talked 12. Well, aside from my boring intro, uh, we've talked for twelve minutes. I have to get my icebreaker question oh, yeah, out for sorry. you. Oh, Sorry. You have basically <laughs> what we cover in an hour. You you are obviously a public speaker because you know exactly how to give like the history timeline <laughs> lesson, which saves me the effort of having to walk you through that. Uh, but I do want to stick to my icebreaker question. Yeah, so absolutely. let me ask that first.
1: Yes, please. Or
0: uh, well, not first, but twelve minutes in. <laughs> 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 One word to describe your past.
1: Oh man that's a fun question uh I'm a big fan of words uh, it's, <laughs> they're they're my favorite, and I think that uh the English language is my I'm just so blessed to have been born in a place where that was what I was taught uh-huh. because it's the most specific language like mm. you, there's so many adjectives so it's when you open it up to the entire language and describe my past um Um, uh, man, that's, uh, it's, it's been, uh, vicissitudinal, vicissitudinal. There's my word. V-I-C-I-S-S-I-T-U-D-I-N-A-L. Uh, it is describing the nature of waves in their up and down pattern.
0: Um, Honestly, I've not seen that word since I had to uh, do my SAT preps in high school, so that is kudos. Here I am. Here I am.
1: Holy shit. Giving you a real esoteric answer to your question.
0: (laughs) Also a word on my (laughs) SAT. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Mike, you grew up in Texas. I did. And uh, I'm... I'm curious about this professional speaker aspect to you because I, although I haven't gone to meetings and have a really long time, I am a, a career long Toastmaster. Oh, awesome. So I kind of know background of speaking and I did speech and debate when I was in high school. Heck yeah. What is your, uh, what is your claim to fame as far as why you're a professional speaker?
1: So, um, you, you, kind of the thing with a professional speaker is you just have to have someone give you money to talk somewhere and mm-hmm. then you're it's it's like being a comic yeah like you don't have to do much to, to claim you're a comic anybody can make their job sure. works at stand-up comedy on uh, Facebook. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um i so i've had a whole bunch of different jobs and things uh growing up i thought that i was going to be a professional football player mm. so i was like really into football but i'm only one, So, like, yeah, I know, I know, which is <laughs> insane, but I just, I never uh, cleared, like, the height to go pro, and I played at South Lake Carroll High School, which mm-hmm. is a huge deal, um, but when I realized I wasn't going to make it D1, I, I also have always had, like, a love of politics mm-hmm. and was like, I'm going to be a politician. I'm going to change everything. Yeah. So I went to, like, a liberal arts school in the middle of nowhere in Virginia to play Division three football and get a government and foreign affairs degree. Uh, and then a year later, I flunked out because I was just partying the oh entire God. time.
0: <laughs>
1: and I came back here and, and I was so, uh, to Texas, the like the DFW area, and I was so disillusioned because I was like, I, I don't even think I give a shit about politics anymore. Like, I don't think any of this matters. I don't think anything that they're doing that we think of as politics is actually changing anyone's day to day. And so I, like, I became disillusioned with that. And then I'm, you know, I'm 19 years old and all I know is that I like to drink and party. And I'm like, well, fuck, what do I do? And so I got into a 12-step program. Okay. It was like, maybe I have a drinking problem. My dad has been, he's 28 years sober now. Uh, So, like, I have that in the back of my head. Well, maybe that's what's going on. Realistically, if you go from being supervised and having helicopter parents (laughs) and and being in, like, this town of Southlake where you can kind of party. And then you get to... 1500 miles away and you have an unlimited credit card and you're at an all guy school in the middle of nowhere in Virginia and you can super party.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You're going to drink a lot. <laughs>
0: like, like Did you see the color drain out of my face as you're talking? Cause I have a teenager yeah, who's got a helicopter parent.
1: Yeah. You got to You got to You got to <laughs> let them fuck up a few times yeah. and show them how it's okay. Cause that's one of the most important things my mom ever did for me. I got arrested at 15 for having weed at school. Hmm. I and mean, I've been a problem kid my whole life. That's why vicissitudinal. It's yeah. up and down for sure. Uh, but I got arrested at 15 for weed and my dad and stepmom were furious and were so angry and we were just like, what the fuck is wrong with yeah. you? And my mom was like, hey, are you okay? And like, what's hmm. going on? What's the deal here? Uh, and so like she it just like approached it from empathy. And uh, so when I you know started doing crazier stuff and I got into places where my mental health state wasn't good, Mm. I knew that I could go to my mom Mm. and that I would be safe and free from judgment. I might not be free from punishment. If I fucked up pretty bad, there'd be consequences for my actions, but I I wasn't going to be kicked while I was down. If I was hurting, I had a safe place and that was super important to have. Um, It still is. Uh, So I, you know, I I got into this 12 step thing and I was speaking there a little bit and I was speaking like in the 12 step circuits Mm -hmm. and I did like two and a half years of that the first time around and was like, I I don't vibe with this. Like Mm -hmm. everyone else here has ruined their life with meth and my life is like just starting. You know, like I I don't even know what I want to do, but I don't think I want to be here. You know, this feels like I'm putting the ceiling on before I've even figured out what the house is going to be. And uh, so I, I just started trying to figure shit out, like what I could do. And I've worked at hardware stores and a bunch of different restaurant jobs and everything from managing to delivering pizzas and I've done just odd jobs online and Craigslist stuff, uh, and then I got into uh, like trying to be an entrepreneur. And I was like, "Well, I'm just gonna." I learned how to build websites. I, I would uh, talk to people that were, like needed websites built, uh-huh. and then I would use WordPress and I would get paid by them to learn how to build a website using YouTube videos. Yeah, and I and I was doing that, and uh, I started helping out uh, with my mom's company that like she works for. And I was doing really well at that. And so I started speaking in the promotional products space, which is like anything. Like, so like this stuff with the, like the pen mm-hmm. and the stickers like with the logos yeah. on it. Everything from that to hats and shirts and incentive gifts like engraved AirPods and stuff like that. Uh, there's the, there's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. And all of these uh, big manufacturers have sales reps that go and talk to the marketing companies about where they should get their goods that they imprint on. Or who imprints for them and all that. So I was working in that space and started speaking and was just trying to improve myself. So I got really into just a bunch of different stuff. I also uh, was in Cutco, the vector connecting thing. It's uh, knife sales. Uh, So it was uh, like direct marketing knife sales. Some people call it a pyramid scheme. It's really more just door-to-door sales, but not really. You just uh, ask all of your friends if they want to buy knives. They're good knives, but... (laughs) So I, I did that for a while, and uh, there's a guy named Hal Elrod, okay. who wrote a really great book called The Miracle Morning. And I did I read that book, and I did some of the things in it. And that year, I started a software company, sold it to a VP from Goldman Sachs, uh, was able to like pay for myself entirely just work that I was doing, and lost ninety pounds. Uh, like I just. My life transformed dramatically and I actually ended up connecting with him and a guy and was in like their movie. And so I would go to their live events and they like film my story of losing weight and transforming my life yeah. in this big documentary that has like, uh, uh, Muhammad Ali's daughter is in it. I can't remember her name off I the top of either. my head, but so all these like big people and like Sean yeah. Stevenson who just passed away recently, but like figureheads of the promotional or of the, uh, motivational speaking world. Are like in this film, like uh, Robert Kiyosaki, and I'm and I'm like, I'm "I'm not fat anymore, you know. Uh, Yeah, so that's that. Like all of this stuff led to like everything I was doing. There were little glints of this is fun, this is fulfilling, this Mm -hmm. is enjoyable. But after I did it for a few months, the juice wasn't ever worth the squeeze. Like it, the work that you have to put in to be a good motivational speaker and going to speaker like training stuff. And like I did a couple of conferences with like one of the best speakers in this world, in the world named John Bergoff. Mm-hmm. He's just a genius facilitator. Uh, and this other guy, John Vroman. I went to their masterclass in San Diego and took like how to be a great speaker and trainer and facilitator like class. And I'm there and it's just like fucking, I felt like a kid in like high school again where I was like, this is fucking dumb, dude. <laughs> like I want to do fun stuff. None of this is fun. Yeah. It's interesting. But at some point my ADHD brain is just like, fucking who cares? You know, like I'll just wing it and it'll be okay. Uh, And then, you know, finding comedy, it was like finally everything that I'd been doing before and all the stuff that I like just crystallized. and was like, Oh man, I love talking about interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. I love learning. Fuels all of your material. You have to be learning about interesting things. I love, like, deconstructing weird and painful parts of my past mm-hmm. and making it relatable to other people to help them deal with their shit. Yeah.
0: Because
1: I know, for me, on all of my worst days that I can remember, I was listening to Stand Up and felt better. Huh. Like, uh, it, you know, I have, like, a very emotional connection to some comedians because, they, I, you know, I may never meet them, but yeah. they, they put me through such really difficult times telling their stories of difficult times and making them funny. It's so, like, I love that. Mm-hmm. And I was doing that with motivational speaking, but it wasn't the same kind of impact because if you're just serious all the time, there's this like depth-joy ratio. Right, and right. I don't know, so... So
0: what, other than having your friend encourage you, what what pushed you into that open mic at, at Hyenas? Hyenas was the first yeah, one,
1: yeah. right? I, I, um, I'd been just writing down funny things, uh, and I also, I had basically been doing... Uh, like a stand-up bit uh, with a story that started off as a true story. And then I started fabricating and fluffing it up. Mm-hmm. And then it became a thing when I was with certain friends and we'd meet new people. They'd be like, Hey Mike, tell this story. Uh. And I was like, you know, trying to tell this story. And uh, it's just, it, it's fun to make people laugh. Mm-hmm. I have had people since I was little tell me I should be a comedian. I've just always been a class clown. I've always been funny, but it, it, like there was never any uh, way to do that, you know. Like they say, be a comedian, and like yeah. I thought, like the the president of comedy is just like, sir, would you like to try? <laughs> Come on through. Yeah. Like, like, and then you see like an open mic, and you're like, oh, that's how you, that's how you do comedy. Mm-hmm. You have to try it. So I, just, I started writing, and part of it was probably uh, Mike Burbiglia did an episode of the Tim Ferriss Show, mm-hmm. which is such a weird crossover of like this. Hyper type A, yeah. you know, uh, super successful Tim Ferriss guy. And then Mike Berbigley, who's a god of comedy. Um, but it's just hearing him talk about all that stuff, I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then I think, like, Whitney Cummings and Bill Burr also had episodes on there. Mm-hmm. And that was all around, like, that 2016 time period. And I was, like I said, I, I'd just gone through, like, a bad breakup. So I was, like, trying to figure me out. Mm-hmm. And comedy made sense. Uh, and it still does. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. I love it so much.
0: Well... Given your vicissitudes yeah. uh, and the, uh, I'll use your words, the ADHD brain of, you know, going from one thing to the next in, in very rapid succession, mm-hmm. you've stuck with this one. Yeah. And that's a great sign when you finally find the thing it that is. you're willing to stick with.
1: It's, um, I, I think part of it, too, is that there's always a new challenge literally yeah. every day is a new thing. Every room, I, I can tell the same jokes two nights in a row. And if it's just it, it even if it was the exact same group of people, it would mm-hmm. be a different experience. Yeah. I mean, there's just no way to recreate the same set and setting of everything night after night. So you get a new taste of stuff and it's just building up this repertoire of skills to deal with every possible situation of what happens when you say these words. Mm-hmm. And which words are better to say when? Like it's it's just an endlessly changing and fascinating puzzle. Yeah. So like for my brain, that's uh, just, I love it. It's uh, it's better than crack. I have tried crack and I prefer stand up. So
0: that's a great tagline. I think your album title. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man,
1: that's so fun.
0: So given that your your start. Mm-hmm. Almost in in the Austin comedy scene, and then leaving the comedy scene. What um, huh, I, I'm I'm afraid to ask this too soon, but I I'm curious as to what have you learned to adapt uh, based on your experiences of going from uh, you know the Dallas scene to the Austin scene to the Houston to L.A. scene. Because one of the things that sticks out in my mind that you said is you like. Uh, figuring out how to connect with people and make your stories and your experiences relatable for you know whatever somebody's going mm-hmm. through. And I think that is a very valuable uh, uh, component to a su- successful comedy uh, career. But learning it in different cities, I think, takes so many different shapes. Yeah.
1: Um, so, it, you know, I, I wouldn't even say I was ever part of the Dallas scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did that one mic and I had... Uh, like one other experience, but it wasn't with any other comics. So okay. I, I, didn't even really know any Dallas comedians. Okay. Uh, like now I know several mm-hmm. and like some that have moved down here, but, uh, you know, Houston, I noticed that I could be, um, I was still so new that like just figuring out even what jokes I could say, cause all of my first jokes that I wrote were all really mean and they were all what people would say are punching down, Yeah, but they were just the things that I thought were funny. Like, I I did never consider it punching down. When you have zero self-esteem, punching down is impossible, you know? It's like, I I think I'm nothing. Like, I can't punch down at you. Sure, I live indoors and you don't, but, like, we're equal, bud, you know? So, like, I had to, you know, be trained around that, but, like, you learn, if you want to, you can learn so much from every single set and every single joke that you write, and there's so many great comics, and even just good comics that will gladly give you advice. Yeah. It's not always good advice, but it is information. And, and like, you can, you know, sift through all of that and glean some pretty important stuff. But, uh, you know, when I got to L.A., uh, I moved there. I got there on a Saturday. Sunday, my roommates were like, hey, there's this bar five minutes away. Because I moved to uh, the city of Azusa, which is 45 minutes east of West Hollywood. Okay, that was it. Would take me an hour, forty-five minutes to an hour to get to the comedy store when I would want to go there. Yeah, uh, but it was twenty minutes from the ice house, which was nice. But so there's this little bar, and they do a ten-minute open mic on Sundays, oh. and it was right by my house. And so I was like, "Oh shit!" And at the time, uh, at my going away party at Mister Tramps, I did seven minutes and barely made it to huh. the seven-minute mark. Like I started getting to. So what do you what do you want to talk about? <laughs> you know? oh yeah, uh, it like it it was. Rough. So, th- like, going into this ten minute mic in this new place, I was like, "Oh fuck, you know, I'm gonna do it." And I crushed it. Like, I, I just did so well. Mm-hmm. I could do every joke that I'd ever done, and I could put them all together. And I was like, "Oh, I have a set." You know, like I didn't just have jokes. I was trying for three or four minutes at a time. I have a set that yeah. I'm doing. And there were a couple people there that liked me, and then were just like, "Hey, you just moved here. Let me introduce you to a bunch of people." And uh, then Monday, I went to the comedy store. I signed up for Potluck, didn't get on. Signed up for Kill Tony, did get on. I met a bunch of people through that, yeah. and then I happened to live really close to the Chatterbox in Lescovina, which is one of the best yeah. rooms. Uh, so I'd go there on Thursdays for their open mic and Sundays to watch their shows, and I got to learn and talk with all these super professional people. But, you, like, I, I mean, I, just, I didn't learn – all I learned was, like, comedic uh, – like principles. I didn't really learn, um, I, I'm still learning very much how to deal with specific audiences and to mm-hmm. cater my material. Um, one of my first shows back when I moved back to Austin, uh, I did Dean Stanfield's show, Barrel and Amps, uh, mm-hmm. in Georgetown. And I was telling a story about getting arrested for weed. And I just, I, I was kind of flustered. I was doing 15, I was excited and nervous. It's a full room. Uh, it's, you know, I think. January-ish of this year, maybe. Okay. Um, so still pretty pandemic-y out. And we're in no masks, uh, Trump territory. And, 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 I, and I just accidentally let uh, Fuck the Police slip. Oh, boy. And, and it wasn't even like an egregious or an uh-huh. angry one or anything yeah. like that. It was just like a in the context of them arresting me for pot. Uh-huh. Fuck them. And a dude in the front row goes, you shut the fuck up. And a lady in the back goes, go back to L.A. God. And I got chased out of town. Dean oh, no. had to help me get out the back door while they were coming out of the front door to find me. Like, oh,
0: God. So, like, I
1: still piss people off for sure. Yeah. Like, I, And I have had uh, some crowds where I thought, like, there's a city called Canyon Lake that's near Temecula, uh-huh. halfway between L.A. and San Diego. And the venue I pulled up to had golf cart parking. So I was like, oh, I grew up in South Lake. I speak rich people. It's uh-huh. uh, so, like, I got in there. I was like, where do you keep your butler? You know? And, like, <laughs> I thought this, these people are going to love me. Yeah. They fucking hated me. Oh, <laughs> like just hated me. And I remember like going in with so much confidence and like, yeah, I'm going to crush. And like two people liked my jokes in this room of 150. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> so like, you know, connecting with people, the, the best lesson I ever learned on any of that from any room anywhere. Uh, cause I, I've done, I try and do it so much. Yeah. Um, and I try to get really varied experiences too. Uh, I got to run a show at a shitty little dive bar in Huntington Beach that, like, 50 years ago was a whorehouse, hmm. and it was it was called uh, the Shang uh, was the nickname for it. But it was like very stereotypical, like uh, Chinese decorations inside, like the red lamps with the writing. But it was just run by like bougie, like a firefighter. And and like his OnlyFans uh, fiance, so that's them. So she like she promotes the bar by taking pictures with cleavage, and, and he pays for everything by fighting fires in Malibu. So like that's that's, that's this bar, and it seats 15, 20 people. And we got to do shows there every Tuesday, okay. and uh, like so many crazy things happened at that bar. But they eventually were like, hey, if you want to do like shows instead of just mics, book some good people. So I just, through pure luck, really, I got to book Josh Adam Myers oh, to I come down and do this room. And it was just, he was working on his Comedy Central taping. He was about to do it like in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. So he was taking any gig and I was paying out of pocket. I had a good job. So I wouldn't, I, I made like half of my money back sometimes on ticket sales, yeah. but I was just like, I'll pay to have good comedians come down here and do this room Just because I'm building a cool room and like, it's a business. Like sometimes you got to invest in it. Like I can't just get my friends that I see at open mics on the show and expect anyone to give a shit. Like you got to have a reason for them to be there. So I book him. He's headlining. He's only going to do 30 minutes and he's going to do his comedy central material to work it out. And he starts off and he's doing the material and it's just not working. Oh, and then he pauses, because I've also seen him do the set several times, because I, I watch and do comedy religiously, like, mm-hmm. every day at this point. So uh, I see him transition, and then start doing, like, kind of crowd work a little bit, and then, like, calling out things that are happening in the room, and then, uh, like, he just changes the whole vibe and the energy, and then he goes back into the same material he started at beginning, and it murders. Huh. And, and it's the exact same, like, he, you know, he, he's really got his voice, down pat so there's not like a huge variation in him mm-hmm. it was just him josh adam Myers being josh adam all the whole time but he twisted it so afterwards i'm like you're a wizard what the fuck was that <laughs> like how do you do that uh-huh. and he was like man this is all about connection connect with the people i wasn't connected with them i was reciting my material i was just doing that yeah. and they felt it they can test it like the, every audience is smarter than you give them credit for like they know if you're full of shit yeah So you gotta, you know, be authentic and genuine and make a connection. Pick out something in the room. Pick out something going on, but connect with them. Let them know that you're here, right here now. Then you can do your jokes, and they feel like they're happening right now. Yeah. So like, you know, that's the most valuable lesson I've ever gotten in comedy, and now I just get to try and apply it in all the different weird Mm -hmm. situations I can be in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, Josh Adam Myers, I've been following around since. going to moon tower and seeing him do the goddamn comedy jam, which is all about connecting the you coolest know, show ever. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Heck and then yeah. I listened to his 500. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, um, you know, when you start mentioning his name, you can't help, but hear that gravelly voice. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, Josh, get more surgery. Poor thing. <laughs> I love him so much. Yeah. Um, and he is very masterful at, at connecting mm-hmm. with people. It's, it's, uh, and that's yeah that's the the most important lesson is is connecting with people and as somebody who books a show that is um one thing that i'm very mindful of when i book people for the show because it is it's not i don't think it's as hardcore williamson williamson county suburb but I know there are certain comics that it's like, I would love to book them out here because I think people need to see a variety of mm-hmm. of comedy styles and, and approaches. But I don't want to get uh, attacked for bringing in, you know, voices that may not work out here. So, yeah. So... It is
1: th- interesting, though, because there's... You know, once you hit, like, a certain place, there's some... I mean, you can see the way that... Uh, all comedians handle rejection on stage differently. Mm -hmm. Um, Like for me, like my problem is that once I like start losing, I I don't have a lot of different variations in my material either. Like if my jokes aren't about drugs or sex, they're about food. And and that's pretty much it, you know, like, like, or it's uh, outside of that, it's just taboo topics. I mean, but that's what my sense of humor is. The things that I think are funny are the things that you're not supposed to talk about. And taking that into a more suburban environment, it's very polarizing. Mm-hmm. Um, like I did uh, sh- uh, Georgetown uh, in the movie theater. Uh, I did a show there, and it was a pretty diverse crowd for Georgetown, uh, just different ages of white people. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, they're there, and I could feel that some of my material was um, not going to work for them. Yeah. But then I worked to make it connect and explain like, hey, I'm not saying you have to imagine yourself in this situation mm-hmm. or that you have to agree with what I was doing, but I want you to know that this is what happened to me and I think it's funny. Yeah. And if you give it a chance, it is.
0: Yeah,
1: You know, like I, I a lot of my stand-up, um, especially recently, has just been taking jokes that had roots in reality and just getting rid of the joke parts that I made them to... Uh, obscure the truth or the vulnerability about them like you know I have some jokes uh, uh, one of my jokes that I do that I just filmed on a special in LA that I did a little mini special uh, is about how I lost my virginity Hmm. and for the first year I told that joke it was just a wordplay joke and and it didn't have anything to do with me Mm -hmm. it was just a situation and I would set up the context of the situation and it got laps but when I started telling it as like my truth where it actually came from people are like oh shit that's hilarious. That sucks so bad for you. That's so funny. (laughs) Uh, So like, you know, I I think, um, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, when you have a place like that where there's like sensitive content, like seeing the way that a comedian handles that Mm -hmm. will make them, uh, it it makes, you can tell a hundred percent how good they're going to be by how they handle like a difficult room yeah, like that. Yeah. Like if they just double down, fuck you guys, you don't even know what's funny. <laughs> it's like, they're going to quit in six months. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and if they are like, Oh, Hey, let me, I, I, I still want this to problem. go well. Yeah. How do I, how do I relate to these people? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like that's a good comic. Yeah. Even if it doesn't go well that time and they're not good right now, they're going to be good because right. of that mindset. Yeah. So. Uh,
0: I'm, I'm not a, a hater type, on on my podcast, so this is not a shock to anybody. But I do actually want to specifically compliment you on something because uh, I've I've known about you uh, since you've come back to Austin, and I've caught you performing one time, probably early on in your return. And I was I was booking at a new venue, mm-hmm. and I. I thought, ah, oh, it's a lot of drug stuff. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know that I could bring that to this venue. Yeah, and then I saw you at Sure Thing, mm-hmm. and not that Sure Thing is like the end all be all of venues, but for me and what I'm trying to do with my showcase, I thought, well, if you can pull off a Sure Thing show, mm-hmm. where you really do have to have broad appeal, mm-hmm. and you can't just be one, you know, topic minded. And when I watched your set, I'm like, damn, he's getting it. He's figuring out the um, working for different audiences and not just. And even if you were still a lot of drug references, Mm -hmm. like you made it more palatable Mm -hmm. to a broad audience. And I'm like, oh, this is exciting to watch. Mm. Because when somebody figures that out, they, they have access to so much more from that point on.
1: Well, I appreciate yeah. that. Um I I definitely noticed um pretty early on with coming back to Austin and getting to do some like really big rooms that uh I I just I had to um not assume that people knew because like, I, I most of my shows that I did in LA were bar shows. Like that's what I got booked on. I did potluck at the comedy store 3 times. Mm-hmm. Uh and I got to do uh like a couple of like, pretty big shows, but they were all bar shows. So, bar people, and people that see comedy at bars, have a very different set yeah. of interests. Like, uh, my intro line for probably three months in L.A. was like, hey, it's weird, I know I'm from Texas, it's crazy because I don't sound retarded. you know, Because <laughs> I don't have the accent, and then everybody always laughed, and, and then, like, you know, you get to Texas and you're like, well, I can't say that here, yeah. they're the retards, you know? <laughs> in the joke. Yeah. Uh, but... It, so it's, uh, you know, I, I had developed and built basically like these bar sets where I could just talk about drugs and there would be mm-hmm. someone there on that drug, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> right. and, and I had like experiences that came from that that were hilarious and so much fun. Like I did a show in Skid Row at a bar that like – That shouldn't happen. And I had like the coolest experience with this crazy human being that definitely wanted to either sleep with or murder me, but like he was awesome and crazy (laughs) and I was bigger than him. So I felt safe, Uh, but like, (laughs) so I did that and then I get here and I got to do like Vulcan Uh, and Vulcan is like a club club Mm -hmm. where, and it's not only is it a club, it's a two state, two levels for people who haven't been there. There's a whole downstairs area that seats about 150 and then another hundred people can fit up top that's intimidating. And at the time they still had all of the tables, uh, set up high. They were the, like the cocktail tables yeah. and the stage had, a DJ booth on it. So you only had like a foot and a half of stage. And like, you know, I'm in front of all of these people and, yeah. and I'm, uh, in like hot new comics in Texas. And it's like, I'm with people that are verified <laughs> like on Instagram. Like, and I have fucking like 3000 followers. My old boss bought me from India, you know, like, <laughs> what the hell are we doing here? And so, yeah, I was very nervous and, and it was like, Oh, those very inside baseball drugs jokes are not going to work here yeah. at all. And then it was just a process of like seeing how well that works and taking the ego hit of, well, I know this is a funny joke, but it's not funny to you. How do I make it funny to you? And getting to a point, And I, you know, I still teeter totter with it. There are certain yeah. parts of Austin that don't like certain stories yeah. and, there's some nights where I'm stubborn, and I just want to do that story and figure out how to make it work yeah. so um, you know and, and I'm three and a half years in, so I still have like a lot to learn yeah. like i I'm not anywhere near where I want to be, so it's you know I, I'm learning I'm still learning and I'm still picking up pieces along the way, and that's the coolest mm-hmm. that's what I love about this so much
0: yeah with your unique perspective as like i I didn't realize the background of being in austin for for a while with your perspective as kind of knowing what the old guard was like and what the new guard is like with all the folks that have come mm-hmm. in from L.A. Um, do you have any uh, words of wisdom to to share with people about this? Uh, I don't want to impose that there is a division in the scene. Uh, I think there is, though. Okay. I, I, I mean, I can feel it. Yeah.
1: I, I can feel it because I'm friends with both sides. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I still am friends with a bunch of people. Like... Uh, the first book show I ever got to do in Austin was at Chortle Portal, at mm-hmm. uh, the old Taos Collective, yeah. like it, with the worst bathroom in history, <laughs> you know, with Andrew Clarkston, uh-huh. you know, and, and Mac Blake, you know, and, and Zach Brooks. Yeah. Like that's old guard Austin comedy. And they're fucking amazing. Uh, and, and then, you know, I'm also friends with all these people that just moved here. And then also there's this third set of people who are Austin stand ups who used to be. Uh, like just uh, open micers that couldn't get on a show to save their lives that have been doing it two or three years now that have gotten a little bit better yeah. or have gotten a show of their own or figured out some things. So there's like these people that have a chip on their shoulder about the old guard mm-hmm. that were here. There's new people. And then there's a shit ton of people that started within the last year. Yeah. You know, there's a bunch of people that were like, well, world's ending. I'm going to tell jokes about it. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> this isn't going to make you happy for a while. <laughs> you know, but... Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so, like, there's there's a division, but what I think is so interesting is it, you can see the people that have embraced the new Austin mm-hmm. and are like, yeah, I guess, you know, the old Austin where there was eight people that did every show and then yeah. sometimes there was a guest spot if you were from out of town uh, and a bunch of people moved to New York but we're still here on shows every week. Instead yeah. of, like, that Austin, that Austin scene died. Yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I know it's a bummer and all of your mohawk closed down or whatever everyone was crying about. But, like... <laughs> Uh, Facebook is here, all right? Indeed is here. Google runs half of downtown. There's 5,000 scooters. It's just, it, <laughs> get off my lawn is not an acceptable response anymore. Damn Sorry, it, old guard, you know? So, but the ones that have embraced that, yeah. and, and like Sam Castillo, for instance, he's crushing it. He Thrive, is. Craft House, yeah. all, the Wednesday shows there are amazing. Yeah. Like, they are so much fun, and like people that come in from out of town... That hit him up Send him a tape He And he does a great job Of booking good people Like he doesn't just book Whoever hits him up He books good people And Yeah you know, Like so There used to be like Because everybody knows That the book's a comedy show that That's also a token That you can use To get on other shows Is mm-hmm. having a show And he doesn't use it that way uh, At least not very often yeah. And so Like you know, He's crushing it And he's embraced This new Austin. And he has people that are new to the scene and new here. And then he has the old guard people coming on. And then he has out-of-towners coming on. And that's what builds our scene. That's what makes our scene better. Like uh, the show that I did there, there were two people in from out of town. And both of them were like, man, I've really been considering to move to Austin. Mm -hmm. And this is such a big selling point.
0: Yeah.
1: You know? And, you know, I, I think the thing is, if you're moving here, the perks of Austin are that it's a very small city geographically. I mean, it's like 10 miles from the northmost bar to the southmost bar yeah. that you're really going to do anything at. There's three major clubs within walking distance of each other mm-hmm. with Sunset, Vulcan, and Creek. And there's a zillion venues around town, and there's an open mic almost every day.
0: <laughs> almost. Almost. There every... is an open mic every single day.
1: There's an open mic every single day, but some of these open mics, I would like sooner do jokes to Amir, and uh. I think that's the most stupid schizophrenic thing you can do. Like, these open okay. mics... Some of them are truly awful, uh. like people that are bad at hosting and bad at comedy are running a mic to try and get better and then doing nothing about that mm. like like there i i don't want to shit on anybody or make anyone feel bad, yeah. but there are people right now running open mics that are having thirty names signed up on the list, giving fifteen bump spots to their friends that show up, not running an efficient light and making it so that one. 40 comics are going to buy six drinks between 40 of them. Like the bar doesn't get any benefit from you and all of your friends coming and drinking their water, you know, and and then coming up there and thinking that your take on rape is funny. Mm. It is really so great for the patrons of that bar that are spending money like, oh, a white kid referencing the N word. This is going (laughs) to shock them. Uh, so it's just like, so you have to do open mics to get better at comedy, but you have to do good open mics to get better at comedy too, because just doing jokes to a bunch of judgmental asshole incels isn't going to make anyone better at comedy. It's going to make you be able to do the RNC for comedy. I don't know. It's just like, (laughs) I, I just, I, man, I, it, it makes me bitter because I want to have a place to practice jokes. I have new jokes that I want to work on that are not good. But if I go and do those on shows, that is unprofessional. Like that mm-hmm. is not like I can try some new stuff that I maybe try in conversation with my podcast co-host. Like there's some of these kind of like testing grounds. Yeah, we don't know until you know people. And yeah. there are no open mics here that I've been to recently that are trying to. Well, Lucky Duck, Lucky Duck is great. There's real live audience members there. I will say that mm-hmm. um, Buzzmill has a couple that are really good. Once in a Blue Moon Creek will have a mic with some audience members there. But for the most part. The open mics are audience of comics who are not focused on or listening to the person on stage. Mm -hmm. And that's bad for comedy. It just is. So that is my big thing that's bugging me about the Austin comedy scene right now. Like, new guard, old guard, I don't give a shit who you are. Like, if you're going to run an open mic, don't suck. You're doing something very (laughs) important. Like, I don't have the time or freedom in my schedule to run a weekly open mic, but there are people that do. And, like, I did that for... A year in Hollywood I ran a weekly open mic Like Every Monday I had to leave work early To drive through an hour and a half of traffic To use the microphone and speakers That I spent $150 on To go and sit at the top of this hotel And set it up So that we could do this fucking open mic And I had uh, The lady that ran the venue Was this hardcore German Uh, Me and Eli hosted it together and So I, I would get there and then she'd be like, uh, just so you know, no one can say the N-word. And we were like, yeah. We uh, kind of figured, you know, it's I, that's kind of a given rule here. And she goes, no, you both said it several times last week. And I was like, ah, oh, no, definitely. Oh. Like, like oh I was gosh. here. That didn't happen. And she goes, you said Nazi, and I need you to stop saying Nazi. And I was like, oh, that's, sweetheart, that is not the N-word. Uh, that is uh, not at all how this works. And she's like, so you must make the announcements this week so no one will say it. Oh, and I was gosh. like, all right. So I get up at the beginning of an open mic uh-huh. with 30 fucking comics. I'm like, hey, just so you know, the uh, owner of the venue has asked that no one talk about Nazis. First person up there, I can't say Nazis. No, <laughs> so it, like, the end of that mic ended up being the funniest thing. So uh, they're going on renovations. We have to do it inside the lobby, but it's like a... A hotel lobby, so there's all the like nice marble tiles and shit, so it's echoing. So she's like, You must unplug the microphone. And I'm like, No, we're not doing that, Carolyn. That's crazy. Can we just go back up on the roof where the renovations are? It's just comics tonight. Nobody's gonna watch it. We're gonna drink beer. It's the last one, probably. Like, we're getting tired of this venue. And she was such a like micromanager about it. And so we go up and we're doing uh, the last one, and we ended up having a decent crowd of human beings from the hotel come out. So, there's maybe 10, 15 people sitting in these nice chairs outside. It's a patio in LA, so it's gorgeous. Uh, we're right across from the Guitar Center on Sunset. Hmm. So, there's this massive, beautiful Jimi Hendrix mural as your backdrop uh-huh. with palm trees and sunset. It's fucking gorgeous. It's so cool. Yeah. And so there's people watching comedy. And then there's some, like, just mentally deranged people. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing this. There's one lady that comes up and she's like, hey, can I plug in uh, my guitar? To your uh, speaker, uh-huh. and I was like, "Oh, it just has the one thing. It's either microphone or guitar." She's like, "All right, guitar." So she plugs in her guitar and then tries to do jokes over the loudest oh shit. Oh my god! <laughs> so you can hear every third word, <laughs> <laughs> and then just <laughs> <laughs> so that's happening. And then the last guy gets up uh, and. And actually, he lives here now, and he's one of my favorite people, David Senefani. Okay. But David hadn't heard the rules at the beginning. He was doing a spot somewhere else and had messaged me to sign up. I was like, yeah, you can go last. Finished out. And he gets up there, and Carolyn, the owner of the place, has come up there. So me and Eli are sitting there, and we've got – I mean, there's 25 people on the roof of this like kind of torn-up bar. And David's going up last, and he's crushing. He's doing amazing. And then I give him the light. And he goes, oh, man, I, I wish I had enough time to tell you about my fucking Nazi grandma. <laughs> I was like, we did so good! <laughs> and she, she was just like, unplugs the microphone, Michael, Just he's done. And I was like, yeah, we, we're done, for sure. You're right. This is, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't stop comedians from saying Nazi. Yeah. It is impossible. It's
0: like a challenge to them. If you tell them you can't do this, they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to do it. Oh, a word that
1: I'm not going to get in trouble for saying? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going to say it. <laughs> Like, uh, the best part, though, is, is after she throws her fit, Eli gets on stage, and he goes, so I can't say Nazi? Sounds like something a fucking Nazi would tell me. <laughs> it just starts going in on her. I'm like, okay, well, this bridge is burnt, but... Yeah, like you got to put in your time and run these open mics, yeah. and you get some fun stories out of it. But you also got to learn like how to run an open mic, how to be a good host. Yeah. That's a, if you're going to do stand up, you're going to have to host some shows. Like that's just going to happen. Yeah. Be good at it. Mm-hmm. That your job as a host isn't to crush so fucking hard that they remember your name and want to carry you out like Rudy. Yeah. Your job as the host is to make sure everyone there is having a good time and that the room is set up and ready for people to kill. Yeah. That's your job. So you know, hold that talent. Yeah. Start an open mic somewhere. Tell the bar like, hey you don't have to give me any money off the bat because we're probably not going to spend much money, but can I have two hours one day a week? Can I do that? And we'll mm-hmm. sign it up, put it on comedy. Wham, tell the comedy scene about it. Yeah. Get a mic going. Don't do a bunch of bumps for your friends. Bump people that are really talented. Don't bump people just because you like them. Yeah. Like there's just some of these little things that like would make this scene markedly better. And, uh, I mean, I mean, that's one of the reasons that Comedygram is such a powerful tool is if you have all of the mics listed and you have the good mics on there, it's like, yeah, now I know for me when I have a new joke that I want to work on and it's 6 p.m. on a Tuesday and I've got a show at 930, is there somewhere I could go up?
0: Yeah.
1: That I mean, that's the most useful tool to be out there. And if, if I start, oh my God, it's a good mic that I can go out mm-hmm. and this person I know is hosting it. Maybe I can get like in there in time for my show. Amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. And I, I want to uh, circle back to, to somebody that you mentioned, Sam, who I absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have bonded over numbers because he has a background in accounting. Mm-hmm. And I'm, a, I'm a mathematician. Oh, fun. And he got his start. Well, I mean, he he got his start with the open mic, the traditional route. But he was a host of, of Love Goat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He absolutely. learned the hardest possible way yeah. how to be a host. And now he understands how to make a show run and mm-hmm. he's got thrive and it's it's so beautiful to see that as somebody that's the fan but has also gone to shows and mm-hmm. well I'm obviously as a fan I go to shows but just seeing how you can do it the right way yeah there's a million ways to do it the wrong way but well and it also it takes time yeah like that like don't I, rush it
1: I remember just, when I first started I was so eager to get anything I could do and I would uh-huh. take any spot that I was given but also like pretty early on people were like hey don't take spots you can't do mm. like if they're like hey do you want to do 5 minutes uh, you know in front of 200 people like if you haven't done it in front of 100 people don't take that spot but yeah. like you know you got to get outside of your comfort zone it's risk reward the further outside your comfort zone you go it might go really really well but then you got a string on top of that like you you if you peak at 4 months in you know yeah. it, and you're not going to have another good show for 6 months yeah. Like, what's going to sustain you? Like, it's a slow build. Like, yeah. you're not going to be famous tomorrow. Yeah. You might have something go viral on TikTok. And, like, we had a video hit two and a half million views. I what? can tell you it means literally jack shit. <laughs> it means absolutely nothing. That video, TikTok sent us a thing, like, hey, do you want to monetize? And me and Eli are like high five and <laughs> like, we'll be fucking rich. $51. Yeah. <laughs> Two and a half million views, $51. Yeah, like, suck my dick. Like, it's it's so stupid. Like, any of the content that I make that goes anywhere, like, I, I have a tweet right now. This is the craziest thing. So oh,
0: I, I love that tweet. It's I so use, good.
1: So I use Twitter 100% as just, like, throwaway premises uh-huh. and high-tech. Like, I, it's essentially just text I would send to Eli yeah. that I just <laughs> send out into the world. And half the time, they're fucking retarded. And, and I have, like, a couple of tweets that have gotten 10. Fifteen twenty likes uh-huh. but i have a, a thousand followers they're mostly just comics and bots uh-huh. like it's twitter it's yeah. it's a cesspool <laughs> and i i in the beginning of uh 2020 i decided with the pandemic thing i was going to figure out how to use twitter so i put it in the top left of my home page on my phone i was like i'm gonna open twitter as much as possible uh-huh. and try and figure it out and i hate it <laughs> I hate it so much. People will say shit like, yo, Plants be wild and has two hundred and seventy thousand likes. Right. And then someone will have like a really funny joke and it, six likes. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is yeah. happening right now? So I've I just been like, I'm just gonna have fun with it and just say the things I wanna say. I've gotten banned a couple times, like starting fights with people and uh-huh. talking shit. It's it's a good time. <laughs> but I never imagined anything would have a hundred likes. Yeah. And I saw an article that Omicron had just tested positive in California and I tweeted the Omicron variant just showed up in LA and said, it's already moving to Austin. (laughs) It's so good. And and like there was like no fat in it. And Uh it was, the only thing I regret is I didn't capitalize the O, (laughs) but, (laughs) but I sent it out. And within like, 15 minutes, it had like 20 likes, uh-huh. which is groundbreaking I'm like, I'm happy there. I'm uh-huh. like, fucking 20 likes? Uh, Brendan Cooney, who's a great comic out of LA, uh-huh. uh, one of my favorite Twitters to follow because he has a beef with flappers in Burbank, which is just incredible. Uh, he liked it, and I'm like, oh, done. I got validation. Uh-huh. A good comic in LA liked my tweet. I'm done with it. I take it, and it's – I'm pretty specific about when I'll actually post on Instagram because of the algorithm. But I was like, "Mm, it's three in the afternoon on a Friday. Fuck it, I'll post it. Uh So I just posted the screenshot of the tweet with just the caption. This tweet's doing pretty good. (laughs) And within like an hour, Overheard Austin shares it to 63,000 people. When, Where, What Austin sees that and shares it to 220,000 people. Uh, A girl, I think her name is Rachel Lately, posted on her TikTok and it gets 9,000 likes. Like, it's blowing up. Uh So, like, uh, it's going everywhere and, like, I've got... 3,000 likes on Twitter, I've got like 200 new followers, and uh, it's got like 800 likes, it's more than anything I've ever posted on Instagram, it's Uh my most successful tweet. And then this morning, I got a message from a fan of the Giggle Boys at 4am, Donald Trump Jr. (laughs) posted my fucking tweet. (laughs) Isn't that the craziest shit ever? (laughs) That's bonkers. There's a real world possibility that... Donald fucking Trump has seen a tweet I made. That is insane. And, like, I'm very openly not a fan of any Republican Uh politicians at all. I make fun of Dan Crenshaw weekly on our (laughs) podcast. I hate that stupid pirate. But, like, to have a former president's son share my stupid fucking tweet is the best part about it is when I made the joke... It was a quick joke. It's topical. Yeah. But it wasn't like comedic genius. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, oh, look at these crazy related things. I was just the first person to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, is this what blows up? This is this this. My, my shittiest, hackiest fucking omicron. <laughs> that is what Donald Trump Jr.
0: is going to share. It's hilarious.
1: Oh. So I'm selling out. I'll be on Fox <laughs> News all next week. I'm oh. doing the roast of Kyle Rittenhouse.
0: Well, but- <laughs> that's been our time. Thanks, Mike. Uh, there's the door. <laughs> Can you imagine?
1: <laughs> God, it's uh, but it's such a trip. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a fucking well, trip. Well, that's
0: that's what I've observed on Twitter is like somebody will just write, you know, the the comic scene that I know and the folks I've interviewed like they'll just, you know, it's it's almost a throwaway and then mm-hmm. it just goes bonkers and you almost you don't know what to do with it because what you're doing is you're you're grinding, you're going to shows, you're doing mics and you just want to be on a stage and talking words, not mm-hmm. typing. Words into yeah. a social media
1: sites. So. I just like, I don't know. A lot of the jokes that I make are also in the delivery and in just yeah. the juxtaposition of the words that I'm saying and my childlike Teletubby appearance. <laughs> like, there's just there's yeah. something that's fun to yeah. look about that. And also, I think that the most important part of stand up is the energy in the room. Yes. It's it's I I don't know if it's some weird autism thing for me, but it literally feels like an orchestra, and I can feel. Like if you were to able to freeze time and take like a picture of that, I could rate on a zero to 100 scale the enjoyment of everyone and then my wow. side of fields of what I'm saying at the moment. And all of that data is just coming in constantly. Like you feel like the, the ebbs and flows, like this crowd is really loving this part of yeah. the joke and it's died over here. Like I need to get them back and I need to bring my energy over here because they are giving me energy and I'll take it and move it over here. And you're doing all this shit, and it sounds like so stupid <laughs> to say out loud, but that's real. Like yeah, that's that's yeah. super real for me. And I might not be explaining it correctly, but that's just how I feel on stage. Yeah. And so to remove all of that, and then just like here's a transcript.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, the show I did last night, uh, there I have a joke about uh, sex talk, and I was I was doing this joke, and when I said the phrase "sex words," a girl in the front row. Went from, she's been making eye contact, laughing, enjoying it, to blank, thousand-yard stare directly in Uh front of her. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, I said some crazy stuff. Uh, This one's weird. And she's staring. And so I look at her, and then I look at who's with her. And this all happens instantly. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, that's her mom. Uh So I'm like, oh, is that your mom? I saw it. When I said sex words, you Uh freaked out. That's crazy. You guys probably yelled the same thing. Like, just genetically speaking, (laughs) ask dad when you get home. You know? If you look at the transcript of that Hey, you looked uncomfortable I saw it, so I'm pointing it out <laughs> Like, that's so mean yeah. I said like a bully oh. But instead, everyone in the room is enjoying it uh-huh. She's laughing and blushing for getting called out The mom is dying Dad thinks it's the funniest thing he's <laughs> ever heard You know, and the brother or boyfriend Whoever's next to her is like What the fuck, go no away, he said that <laughs> But if you read a transcript, it just It sucks all that joy yeah. out So, yeah, yeah fuck Twitter <laughs>
0: There you go. There you have it. Uh, We have covered so much ground, uh, but one of the things that we haven't talked about is your podcast. Oh, yeah. uh, Which is very giggly.
1: Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it sounds like you've known Eli for a really long time. Uh, Met in L.A.?
1: Uh, We actually met at Cenote here.
0: Oh, my God. He
1: was uh, traveling. uh, uh, He was on his way to South America and was stopping through Austin and was just like, oh, I'm going to hit up an open mic. And we hung out and we partied and went and got like super obliterated, hammered, and had a Uh great time. And we had a moment. So after the mic, he was being like real cocky and I needed him to take it down a level. Uh So I took him to Coyote Ugly on Dirty (laughs) and I bought him two body shots. Uh And for people that don't know about this, Coyote Ugly, it's all very attractive and scantily clad women who just abuse you for their entertainment. (laughs) So I paid these two women Uh who he's like, oh, hell yeah. And then they're like, writing cum slut on his back in Sharpie oh, and, like, squeezing limes on his face. So they do all this. I'm laughing so hard. And then he walks over and he goes, I, I, I didn't like that. And I was like, yeah, but you were just... I needed you down. He's like, oh, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just got it right away. I was like, yeah, we're going to be friends. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, we've known each other a while. Um, it, the chief complaint... I talk too much on that one, too. <laughs> 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 uh, but it's... But it's a lot of fun. It's... I told myself I wasn't going to make a podcast until there was a reason for me to make a podcast. And in the middle of the pandemic, I started a weed podcast in California Mm -hmm. where it's totally legal. And then I moved here and I was like, I can't keep doing that. I don't really need to make one. And then Eli was like, well, let's just fuck around. Our friend Gary Faust, uh, built a studio. So we're like, we'll just go in and test it out. Eli already has a thing that he does called cast burgers. so we are like, Oh, we'll just have some fun. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 11 episodes in we have that clip hit two and a half million on TikTok and we're like oh people actually like
0: yeah.
1: hearing us talk and so we built it we built it and we got 22 episodes in and then we went and were guests uh, together on a podcast called The Drinking Bros which has like 10 million annual listeners and like 95,000 on YouTube and it's just like they're crushing it Yeah. and they have us on their show and all of their fans are like these guys are fucking incredible huh. that's the funniest thing we've ever seen we love them so we get signed to a big boy network so yeah. like in the space of December of last year when we started it to now it's December this year, we've gone from sitting in a dude's attic, like (laughs) uh, wearing like black shirts with a black background, (laughs) like just like have uh, like halfway through the audio cut out of one mic, like just these, like a pretty rough podcast that just adds some gems from it to now, you know, we have, uh, we did our first live episode, um, November twentieth, mm-hmm. uh, and it was amazing. It was so much fun. We like had a full room of people that paid to see us do a podcast live, and it's it's. I mean, it's my favorite thing to do. Yeah. It's so much fun. It literally does never feel like anything other than just hanging out with my buddy and talking about dumb shit. Yeah. So,
0: well,
1: yeah. <laughs> if people want to check it out, they can. I mean, yeah. it, if uh, if you want to hear it, I think this last episode, Eli, he's on a kick right now where he's convinced that people are lizards. And he's in that whole lizard people thing. I'm just having none of it. I am just like, no, man, they're not fucking, are you retarded? (laughs) So it's him. And he's a pretty well thought out and well researched and intelligent dude. But sometimes he just like misses a little bit and goes down like the wrong, like QAnon rabbit hole. And he's like, people are lizards. I was like, "Mm, no. (laughs) So
0: if you're into that. (laughs) I think I might be more into the you telling him no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's (laughs) fine. I love it.
0: Um as we wind down mm-hmm. what have we not talked about that you want people to know about
1: Oh man I I mean I, I talked too much if anything like, <laughs> I I I covered everything I, you know my whole past and uh, my yeah. whole present I, I mean I I think your listeners are mostly comedians or so, fans yeah. of comedy so yeah. comedians A bilf. I don't know so one of the most valuable things uh, that I have noticed from comedians that I admire and that I consider to be very much more talented than me and my senior in every, you know, facet of that, mm-hmm. uh, people like Asana Mod or David Lucas, like they have a collaborative mindset versus a competitive mindset, and they live the notion of a rising tide raises all ships. Uh, like I, Asan has talked about how he asks his, asks for more difficult spots mm-hmm. on the shows he's on. Like, hey, is it hard to follow this person? Let me try it. Huh. You know, like I I gained so much respect for him when I saw him uh, follow Whitney Cummings at Sunset because it was her show. It was 250 people there that bought Whitney Cummings tickets. Yeah. She just did 25 minutes, and now Asan has to come on to do a 15 minute set. It's like that's that's a really yeah. hard spot, and even within 30 seconds, they're on his side. Like it, it's. Wow. I mean, it's masterful to watch him do stuff like that, and he's always open, happy to give advice, happy to take feedback. I I mean, I've put in some work, so of course, talking to me is going to be different than someone that just started. But like, if you're uh, like a comedian, just hang out with other comedians and and like, what can you do? What's something that you learned that you can share with other comics to make them better?
0: Yeah,
1: because that's the thing is. No matter how good you are, like until you are at the point that you don't need advice, like you're not going to be able to do new jokes every single night at every venue that you want to. There are going to have to be other comedians involved in your comedy career, yeah. and you want them to be good. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, nobody <laughs> wants to be the best person on every show. That's fucking boring. So, like, <laughs> let's let's all make each other better. Like, yeah. any chance that I get to tell comedians cool things I learned, Matthew Broussard did that. He was in town. He was doing WTF Ice House, which he's, I think, above. Like, I, I think yeah. the guy could sell tickets at Paramount. He's fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's standing there, and he's talking, and he was having a conversation with Hunter Duncan. I said hey to Hunter, and then he was like, hey, are you a comic? Doesn't know me from fucking anyone. And I'm like, yeah. And then we shake hands, and so since I know Hunter, I have some credibility, and then we are talking, and he's just giving incredible advice. Like, hey, when you reach out to get booked on a show, put the link of your reel, your clip in the show.
0: Smart. Yeah. Don't
1: ask them if they want it. If you ask them if they want it, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Either put it in or don't put it in, but don't offer it if they want it because it's so easy to just reject you. Right. Like, set yourself up for success. Just put the video in there. Have a good video. It doesn't have to be the most recent one, but it should be a good one where people can see that you're doing good in a place where you made people laugh. And that there's a nice quality to it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a 15-minute video. No booker is sitting there watching your fucking 15-minute stranger set. You know, send them a a link that has a YouTube timestamp in it to 2 minutes 37 seconds when you're telling that banger. And within 30 seconds of them watching the video, they're laughing. Do it like that. You know, they're like... Just little tips... Didn't know me from anyone else, but he knows that, you know, I'm a comedian that is trying to do what he has done better already. Mm -hmm. He can help me get where he is because he's going where I have not been, you know? So like just that kind of shit is so helpful and there's so many people that do things like that and I just, I love seeing it. So I just want to encourage it.
0: Yeah. Very good. I, am struck by the vision of Matthew and Hunter standing next together and I'm just envisioning there are clouds and you know, there's the, the little cherubs with oh, their for horns sure. piping. Cause you know, my wife two... would not appreciate how <laughs>
1: sexual I find this image. Yeah. <laughs> no, Hunter and Matthew are two incredibly beautiful men and they're so funny. So fucking funny. It's my favorite because you see people that go to the shows. Like I, I don't want to be completely stereotypical, but like you see a girl like brandishing armpit hair and She's gonna look at Hunter and be like, "Fucking hate that yeah. guy," and then he's gonna do the God is a woman joke, and she's just waving that shit out. yeah. <laughs> like, dude, he's a killer. I yeah. love him so much.
0: Well, you know, uh, to Matthew's credit, Matthew would he he started off uh, in Houston, but he would mm. come up to do Sure Thing, which is where I got introduced mm-hmm. to him. And just such a smart guy, mathematician. So you mm-hmm. know, he's already my, my favorite, mm-hmm. and just so smart to know. They see this this handsome guy, and he's just going to say, yep, I know, <laughs> and disarms them and yeah. then moves on, and it's like, S- that's smart. You, yeah, it is, yeah. and he's
1: he's got amazing technical joke writing.
0: Yeah, uh, yes. Like
1: I listen oh to his gosh. album, and he has a, a joke about Adderall. I won't ruin the punchline. You just go listen to the album. Mm-hmm. It's on Spotify, but uh, I guess I mean, I've heard recently, fuck Spotify, too, apparently, oh, yeah. but... But if you want to listen to it, it's good. <laughs> He'll appreciate the penny, I assume. I don't know, like, the view is good. Uh, but yeah, he has a great Adderall joke. And you hear a lot of those. And so to hear one that's a new, fresh take yeah. with clever wordplay, it's like, yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. in.
0: Yeah. So could, uh, Comedy Wham listeners, go back and listen to that uh, interview with Matthew Broussard and Hunter. They've yeah. Both had
1: them on. Amazing.
0: All right. Uh, Mike, are you ready for one word to describe your future?
1: Oh, epic. Like Gilgamesh. Uh, (laughs) I, I just, I, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. And you know, the Trump junior shit just proves you never know where exposure is going to come from. It's, it's not my best tweet, but it's gotten me a lot of views and stuff. Like I don't know what's going to happen next, but I know that like, if I just keep putting my best foot forward trying to be as funny as I can be Mm -hmm. and helpful and kind and uh, as long as I don't die of liver failure like, <laughs> things are yeah. going to be awesome. So, uh, you know, I, 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 Epic's the best I got on that yeah. one.
0: Well, kudos to you, and I know this is not a video recorded, but kudos to wearing that Babes shirt. Yeah. Uh, If you don't know, if you've never been to the DFW area, uh, Babes is this amazing uh, fried chicken place. (sighs) It's kind of a family style. It is just so damn good. Uh, Get up to DFW and check it out. Yeah,
1: absolutely. The closest (laughs) one to Austin is in Burleson. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Woo, calm down.
1: Yeah, go Uh, (laughs) out. That's right. have a, a, a... Stupid knowledge of high school mascots. It's so annoying. <laughs> uh, fucking Weatherford is the kangaroos. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I got, had an ant there. So yeah. It's <laughs> good this, I you know. know this. Yeah. Oh, oh, man. God. Oh, well, on that note, that is, <laughs> that is a wrap on Comedy Wham Presents Mike Eaton. Tell us where we can find you on social media. And I know you have that, that uh, tweet pinned. So Yeah,
1: yeah. My, uh, my Twitter that is terrible is uh, at the Mike Eaton. And my Instagram is Mike Is Eaten, uh, <laughs> as I usually am, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find me on social media.
0: Very good. Uh, and uh, do you have any upcoming?
1: I have two shows coming up. Uh, I've got one at the Creek in the Cave, January first at seven PM, and then I've got another one at the Roma Room that same night. So catch Very me good. up north or south, wherever mm-hmm. it tickles your fancy. Happy New Year. <laughs> Amen, brother.
0: Well, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Mike got to be the comedic genius you heard today, just <laughs> as much as, as I am. Genius. <laughs> this has been Comedy and presents Mike Eaton. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny.
1: Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. That was so much fun.